speaking of my my headline aggregator, uh, the only other thing that people are asking now is, do we have a quarterback situation yet? So I'm going to ask you, do we have a quarterback situation yet? That's a stupid ass question. No, <laughs> no, no. What the? F- I'm sorry. <laughs> what? What? Welcome to Chapel Belker, Stats Focus Podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And we're here because we're viewing this past weekend's game, the game against Auburn over in Jordan Hare Stadium. Uh, the Wampings continue until mm-hmm. uh, further notice, apparently. So mm-hmm. we will have today a little bit of our experiences. We'll talk about what the stats tell us. We'll talk about some other games that went on with some uh, pretty significant stats. Uh, observations takeaways prediction reviews and then ask cbc's your questions but without further ado i want to hear how was your experience nathan i think my big takeaway from saturday was sort of just uh an honest question which is like how the fuck does everyone else do this i hate watching games from home i'm so stressed out the whole time i have nothing to do Uh, next time i have to watch a game from home i'm just going to run like 10 miles beforehand or something so that i can you know feel something during the game mm-hmm. i didn't really unclench my butt until probably that last zeus touchdown honestly to put us up you know 24 for good which is probably too mm-hmm. late i probably could have relaxed before then but i didn't and you know this is a serious question that i am open to taking advice about because i have to go to a wedding on saturday and can't go to a pretty important game and mm-hmm. you know i love the people who are having this wedding and the good thing is that they're not college football people so they didn't do this knowingly you know at least they at least they're innocent in that my friends whose wedding I'm going to it's actually a former former student of mine who it's two of the like nicest kindest most loving people I've ever met and also my hairdresser and I I'm very happy to be going and to be there on their very important day for them but I also I just really wish that maybe the timing was a touch better because mm. I don't know what I'm going to do I might try to go to like the first quarter of the game just so that I can like bleed some nervous energy out and then leave but that might hurt even mm-hmm. more so i'm open to suggestions but difficult. yeah that was my experience it was just me rocking back and forth anxiety coping like the whole time uh-huh so well, yeah I, that... <clears throat> I had uh you know my my wife was out of town since thursday and so i don't know if anybody else can relate to this but whenever anna goes out of town i have like maybe six hours where i'm like no, no rules like we can do whatever we want pepper me and pepper are like doing whatever we're eating sweets it's, i don't normally eat sweets kind of thing um we go to bed at a reasonable hour which we already do like but we still pretend like we're doing something bad you know um but i did make myself a bunch of buffalo wings like too many buffalo wings which i still have a ton in the fridge um and then really you know just sat there on the couch and i drank like two glasses of rosé and <laughs> ate buffalo wings uh with my dog we you know before the game we actually went and you know threw the ball a little bit so that pepper could actually be chill during the game um <clears throat> but that was it was a pretty pretty calm game i feel for me for the most part you know just kind of hung out talked to folks in the discord it was uh i wasn't doing anything else normally on the weekends you know we're visiting with family or we're doing this or that and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i feel like this is the first game in a while where we were just kind of on the couch well, and watching the game and that was that was kind of nice it was good that's uh 
after the game though that's when i did take a nap like immediately following the game like a very short nap woke up and realized the the alabama texas a&m game was very interesting and so i watched a little bit of that and then eventually because it remained interesting went downtown in the third quarter to watch the rest with my friend ben at blue sky so um Mm. you would have thought that georgia beat alabama uh with the Mm -hmm. way that downtown was celebrating it was very much like very similar to the scene in return of the jedi when the death star is destroyed and all the ewoks are like "Ah!" um having a real great time but yub yub man yub yub y'all yeah it was a real good time but i i have a very like sort of typical experience when i have when i have to work the games which is that I don't really drink during the games because my body, my sympathetic nervous system can't handle it. And I don't really drink that much at all. So every time I watch a game from home, I then immediately drink three or four beers and I'm like, all right, Mm -hmm. sleep time. And so my mom's birthday party, I had my mom's birthday party on Saturday, so I couldn't do that. But I came over to my mom's house and I was like jubilant. I was like so happy. And they were like, oh, are you happy because we won? And I'm like, no, I'm happy because we didn't lose. And it's over. And I'm so glad because I don't want to have to talk in front of hundreds of people about this bad thing happening because it makes me feel bad. <laughs> so yeah, it was good. It was it was very, it was it was a good day. I thought I thought you know, it was not uh, the most aesthetically pleasing thing that I've ever seen happen on a football uh, you know on a football field, no. but it it got the job done, you know and. UJ certainly didn't have their A game, which we can talk about uh, how relatively, mm-hmm. how that's still very good in the relative sense. But yeah. I, I was... What a nice little segue you have, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was I was pretty much clinched up until Zeus had that last touchdown where he broke through four tackles. And that's what I knew they'd quit, you know, because they had him in the backfield and he was like, no, nah, I'm going to run for a touchdown anyway. And that's how you know, mm-hmm. like, w- you made that ass quit. And once you see that, then it's probably, <laughs> it's, you can start relaxing a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So, Absolutely. So let's let's use that that segue and let's talk about some some stats. What what does stats tell us here? Anything yeah, that you're seeing? We're at, we're looking at gameonpaper.com, which is I think the best website to look at the advanced box score for a game. If you look at gameonpaper.com forward slash CFB, it's the only way to fly. I personally think. And <laughs> if you are in the Discord, I will paste into the stats channel that link as we speak. So what what do we see in here on our game on paper box score that you guys? Or that you think well, is if you haven't actually looked at game on paper yet, you uh, when you do click through that link, you'll see that uh, one of the first things you see is the win probability on the left and the expected points, the EPA chart on the right. And what's really fun about this one is the win probability is completely on Georgia's side the entire way through. So there was never a point in which Georgia fell below, let's see, 75% win probability on the well, day. They were, they were 74% for about two plays. And yeah, then it was... All downhill from there, basically from Auburn's mm-hmm. perspective. And I will point yeah. out that the the game excitement excitement index of this was a one point one one, which is still very low, but is double to triple what it has been on average for the year. Uh, so <laughs> this is a lot more exciting game. UGA actually had a win probability under seventy five percent, which most of the games this year it has been up in the nineties basically the whole time. And you know the mm-hmm. low point has been you know ninety five ninety six. So you know a closer game than we've had since Clemson certainly. Uh, at one point, UGA was uh, net EPA negative, which hasn't happened in a, long, uh, in a long time. In the first quarter, Auburn had four uh, net of uh, four EPA net, and UGA had negative point eight eight. Of course, this is not that was not the ending result. 
at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, UGA ended up with 7.29 total EPA um, for 9.43 of that offensively and negative 3.36 special teams EPA, which is interesting. But uh, and then on the other hand, Auburn had negative 12 total EPA, negative 10 on offensively, negative two special teams, negative one on penalty EPA. So, yeah, you know, I (laughs) I certainly felt like. This was a game that was simultaneously not as close and closer than it seemed. You know, I, I mm-hmm. felt like the stats will tell you that this game wasn't close probably at all for very long. And I think that that's ultimately what I think is true. But also, this is a game where a couple of key, you know, what your eyes tell you is that there were a couple of key plays that could have gone differently that could have really changed it. One of which being that defensive stop that UJ had in the end zone to in the half, which I do not think was a penalty really by any standard. Uh, I think that. Whether or not it was a penalty by the rule of the law is sort of irrelevant. This was a Latrevious Brinney uh, pass breakup on a fourth down play at the end of the second uh, second quarter, and I don't. I think whether or not it was technically pass interference is irrelevant because it's not a call that gets made what 80 percent of the time. You know, I mean, Brinney did have the receiver's jersey down at the bottom, but that's not a play. That's not a call you make, uh, mm-hmm. especially given that his hand got there as the ball did, and usually. You reward that kind of uh, coverage excellence with not throwing the ball or not throwing the flag. And sort of one of the themes of the day, I thought, on the penalty side was that they were pretty much letting people play uh, this. You know, there were probably four to five egregious holdings on Auburn's that didn't get called, which, you know, I think pretty much evens out penalties, even though, yeah, obviously there's a five point swing in penalty EPA. I still think I still think Auburn probably got as good as they gave penalty wise. Yeah. Any anything else you see here? I mean, I, was I, I, I know there's some. Yeah, go ahead. The uh, the middle eight plays. This is the first time I think I've seen on on all season when uh, both teams had the same amount of plays through the middle mm-hmm. eight uh, minutes of the game, which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it seems like it just kind of came out mostly neutral. You know, I think at this point we had kind of um, let the offense not die down, but it it seems to have kind of begun to come away a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of shows in these numbers. The uh, EPA for Georgia in those middle, those 12 plays was negative 0.63, while Auburn's was negative 1.84. So still a pretty significant difference there, but um, not 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 nearly as, as strong uh, yeah, middle I, eight as the rest of the game. I think that the middle eight plays really shows that I, I think what Georgia did when they came back from the half was they held serve until they got right, right? And it hmm. wasn't a perfect game from Georgia, but I thought one of the impressive things about the third quarter was that Certainly UGA didn't have a lot of success in those first couple of offensive drives, but you know, in the, in those middle eight plays, they had 12 plays of which 10 of them were rushes. And on those rushes, they had a 60% success rate, which is very good. And at the very least, like you kept Auburn off the board at the end of the second half, you got back out. I think the first, you didn't have a three and out in the first, uh, the first drive after half, but then you eventually had to punt. And then you sort of like held serve on Auburn, didn't let them really do anything. And, and I think really one of the sort of situational, I guess I would say, I always get these two mixed up, but I guess one of the tactical advantages of having a defense at the level that UGA has is that even though you maybe can't rely on winning every game like your 2011 Alabama, which UGA has to this point done, you can't really rely on that like throughout a year. But I do think that a, a very good elite defense is still is still valuable enough that you know that you can use your defense to help you break serve or to hold serve by which I mean, 
if your defense can just reliably smother their offense, it gives your offense more time to get things right. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, I think that's kind of what we saw with UGA where had an okay first half offensively, but then really came out in the second half and just absolutely like I took the game over with the run game. I mean, overall, you know, 69% rushes on the day for UGA, 211 that's- yards, 4.4 uh, four yards per play, but the EPA per play of 0.11 is pretty good. Uh, total EPA 5.1, right? Uh, EPA per play passing 0.18, which is getting close to very good. A competent pass offense about 0.2 per play is what you're looking for for an above average pass offense. So, I mean, this was a game that I think it felt close. And I think without Georgia's defense, it would have been way closer. But of course, you know, if wishes were fishes or whatever, I, I, I thought that. <laughs> Ultimately, this was a game that in hindsight, I'm like, well, yeah, that game wasn't that close, right? UGA had a net 19 point uh, EPA differential on the day. So that's not a close game. But, you know, on the other hand, it felt closer in the time because it felt like, well, UGA just barely made this play and they just barely made that play on defense. But Mm -hmm. it's like just barely making a bunch of plays is the mark of an elite defense, which at this point, I don't think that we can deny that UGA has anything but that. Uh, is there anything else you want to look at on this advanced box score before we go on? Uh, something we don't actually talk about a lot is is down near the bottom on, game on paper is the most important plays spread. And this is kind of fun because it is all determined by absolute WPA and um, EPA. Down- EPA. WPA oh, was WPA. the worst. Is it? Oh. Mm-hmm. Most important plays. <clears throat> Big plays oh, are when, determined when, by EPA. When pro- Oh, win mm-hmm. probability added. I thought you were talking about works project administration. And I was like, well, that is a core tenet of the New Deal <laughs> and one of the like fundamental things that modern democracy is built on. There you go. You know. Yeah, this is a weird uh, a weird aside for this football game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so all of these important plays are, are determined by the way the win probability swings in any one direction, which is determined yeah. by EPA. Uh, but the what's really fantastic is there are there's several here for Auburn, but the ones that are most important to Auburn are the field goal, and the least important to Auburn is that time the Bonix threw the interception to Kobe Dean. <laughs> so it was just a very <laughs> uneventful game for Auburn overall, and the best they could do um, to to swing this game in in any direction towards them was the field goal um, early in the first quarter, which swung the win probability towards it hit 20%. It was the the highest they had on the day. Um, so yeah, just, just a, a really, like you said, it's one of those things where it's like in the midst of it, didn't feel like a wampin, but it sure did end up that way um, by the end of it. So the cumulative, one thing, I, one thing I'll say is that the cumulative effect of the cumulative effect of having a very good defense is that, you know, if you think of like, the, the, the finite res- there, there are two basically finite resources in a football game. One of them is time and one of them is snaps. And one of the sort of strategic, I guess, less tactical and more strategic ways that you can really get a huge advantage in a football game is by incrementally taking away one of those finite resources, right? So this is mm-hmm. one of the advantages that, say, Army has is they can run the ball efficiently 100 times a game, and it really shortens the game. And UGA... I think does that shortening of a game in a similar way, which is to say that whatever your stop rate is, right? The percentage of plays that you keep your opponent from getting the the yardage that they need, either on an EPA basis or on a, on a success rate basis, whatever your stop rate is, what you've basically done is 
taken those plays away from Auburn's offense. You've limited the game, mm-hmm. if not in time, but in snaps, right? And so UJ had a 58% stop rate on the day, which means that almost 60% of Auburn's, Auburn basically lost 60% of its plays on the day. And one of, I think, one of the things that it's hard to adjust to when you have a defense playing at this level is that those are incremental gains, but they're gains that add up, right? As you take snaps away from a de- from an offense, what you force them to do is press because they have to score the same number of points over a f- a, an increasingly smaller number of snaps as the game goes on, right? And this, this is an effect that I think magnifies even without the benefit of a clock pressing you, right? Auburn's offense felt pressed when they were down 17 points in the second quarter because they knew they were already hemorrhaging snaps, if not time. And I, and I think to me, that's really was one of the experiences of watching it from home. That's really what I took away was, was this sense of like, I feel uneasy, but I also feel like Auburn is losing things that it can't get back. And I think what it was losing was opportunities, right? They just ran out of opportunities to do anything good. And in the times where they did do them, do, did do good things. It just, they didn't have enough chances to keep doing this right and ultimately mm-hmm. that's how you lose games yeah uh yeah so that's about all i got on this game uh do you want to talk about some specific to uga stuff or do you want to like sort of wrap around a couple of other games first let's let's talk before we leave game on paper let's let's talk about a couple other games uh around the league and then we'll come back to to georgia because um a couple of these games these, these could matter to us one of them will most likely matter to us more than the other but um, one of them being the Penn State-Iowa game, which was really exciting. Very, very exciting. Um, it's another game that was all over the place. It was mostly in Penn State's side for, for the game, and then it came swung way back into Iowa's side. But it was just one of those games that I was watching that I was so thankful for, despite having as many inj- injuries that we have. Um, I'm just so thankful that we're so deep and our offense is still incredibly competent in in moving the ball down the field. Um because these two teams just like beat the mess out of each other. <laughs> Their offensive EPA on the day uh, for, for each of them, Penn State was negative 22.8 and Iowa's was negative 11.8. Just like, yeah, I, man, I, I don't know that Iowa is very good defensively. I know. And I, and I could pull mm-hmm. their, their unadjusted ranks in just a moment. But I just don't know how good Iowa is, man. Like they I just don't. Either, yeah. They, it just, man, it, they just don't feel, it, it just doesn't feel like that consistently winning games on a, you know, negative 11 point EPA performance is sustainable. That's, and I know it's not sustainable. Like, it almost sounds like a joke when I say, see it, but I don't know. <clears throat> but like, it, it's interesting like, you say that but it's too. Not. Like, it's like they, they just didn't have a good game offensively, but their defense is playing at a very high level. But I don't think that's really sustainable, especially since they're going to play Ohio State. Like, I don't think this is mm-hmm. even going to matter because I really think this Iowa State team or this Iowa team is going to get really pushed by Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to depend on whether or not they can actually hold, hold Ohio State. And this would have been a Penn State game had they had their starting quarterback in, I feel. Like, they would have come away with it. It would have been fine. But. They, they definitely just kind of lost momentum and then could not regain momentum. But um, yeah, they, so there's that one. We'll, we'll see if that matters later on down the line. Iowa has a tough season remaining, just as you said, having to play Ohio State later on down the line. Well, it's it's ironically, um, like, ironically, they, they have a very, like, cakewalk regular season left. But you're right. In mm-hmm. in the actual sort of... In the grand scheme. I don't know. The grand scheme of things, yeah, you always have that looming... Pre- you're probably going to see Ohio State in the... I think Ohio State's, like, 
offense is probably the second best unit in the nation right now. Mm-hmm. And despite having a hiccup game to Oregon, you're probably going to see Ohio State in the in the Big Ten Championship, and I just don't see that going well. Anyway, carry no. on. Uh, other game on paper is the one that everyone's talking about, the Death Star being destroyed, of course. Um, mm-hmm. It's a bittersweet moment, I feel, but one we needed. Um, this was the Alabama and Texas A&M game. No, this was not bittersweet. bittersweet. This was this is a pound and a half of gummy bears like <laughs> shoved into the shape of a bigger gummy bear that you ate until you throw yeah. up. It's, it's well, good shit, man. Bittersweet only because like I wanted it to be Kirby to be the first assistant to beat Nick Saban, but still thankful it happened. I'll eat yep, it. Yup, motherfucker. I don't it. care. I'm okay. That's fine. <laughs> can be I'm whoever down here you on want. indoor. Dancing my ass off. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't Come care. over here, C3PO. Yeah. I look like Grind a tall Ewok as it is. Grind on me, C3PO. Uh, the game yeah. excitement index was 7.35 <laughs> compared to George's 1.1 whatever. Um, just a fascinating game too, because this, this is the, we talk about the chink in the armor for teams all the time, and it definitely seems like, uh, this, this Alabama team has a, a clearing chink in the armor. For some reason, their offense, it just could not get it done at the end of the day. And their defense couldn't stop a, a very, I guess, middle of the road, Texas A&M. Do you have any yeah, stats see, on I, just kind of where I, they I think, sit? I think defensively. Offensively, it's like if you are averaging 0.1 EPA per play, 0.11 EPA per play on both rushing and passing is mm-hmm. below average. But it's it's like if you're averaging 5.97 yards per play on rushes and 7.1 yards per play on passes, it feels like you should be able to win. But a with a backup quarterback who had one leg at times was averaging 9.1 yards per play on passes and 3.48. That, that's, this is what's weird. A&M only ran... 27 they ran 27 times which is 47 percent of the time and they had negative a negative 0.04 epa per play when they ran it but they just threw the hell out of the ball when they needed to as for you know sort of the the imprint of these teams now especially like in terms of alabama if that's what you're asking about as of Mm -hmm. right now i think that my numbers which again these are these are this is not cbcr squared this is your um this is not cbcr squared this is uh just my national rankings that I've sort of been tooling around with here. But as of right now, my numbers have, give me a second. Uh, So my numbers have Alabama is the 16th ranked EPA offense in the nation. And that's just on like total or on like EPA per play. And defensively as the, let's see, 44th ranked EPA defense. They hmm. are, you know, above average. They're probably still a top five team. Uh, the numbers, there aren't, there aren't really any numbers that really stand out for me. Although I will say defensive PPO for Alabama is 116. That's bad, dude. That's, That's points per opportunity. Bad. That's defensive finishing drives. I think that might be the closest. I think if you want to see like, well, what's the talent? What does that reveal to you talent wise? Is that I just don't think that they have like the core of their defensive line at the at a dominant enough level. And, and I think that's borne out by a couple of things. One, 53rd and Havoc rate is just average. They're seventh in line yards rank, seventh in stuff rank. So they're still kind of defending the run on, you know, around the line of scrimmage pretty well, but 83rd in pass EPA rank. So I don't know. I just talked myself out of it. Maybe the defensive line isn't the problem. It's the secondary. <laughs> I mean, it's just this team didn't look average. They looked like a top five team that just lost to a team in a special home environment to me. But mm-hmm. I... One thing that I was struck by that I saw somewhere online, I think I was on, 
I was lurking on Bama Online, which is the 24-7 uh, Alabama, what should we call it, uh, Alabama uh, message board after the loss because, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm a bad person. But one thing that struck me was there was someone on the ba- on Bama Online that said something really smart, which was that there aren't any players on the Alabama defensive line too deep that start at Georgia. Mm-hmm. And when we played them in 2017, it was probably the case that of those defensive linemen, of the you know six the the top six defensive linemen on Alabama, you know four or five of them probably would have started at Georgia. So yeah. I think to me that's really the big change, and and you know I think that's reflected in the pass EPA as well because it's like I just did not see from them. You have Zach, you have Zach Calzada who seems to be just like a Steven Garcia guy who is just going to mess up against every other team, but then just like take Alabama apart for no reason. And I mean, Calzada played a hell of a game and he was gritty, but I mean, he wasn't particularly like, I mean, he didn't, I mean, I know his stats say different, but to me, he didn't look like he was like lighting the world on fire. I mean, his, his final rush line was, or his final stat line was 21 for 31, 285 yards, three touchdowns, interception, 72 QBRX, which is 72 QBR is pretty good, but Mm -hmm. he didn't take any sacks and he made completions when he needed to. And they got production from their running backs when they needed to and Bryce Young went 28 for 48 which is not great 369 yards three touchdowns one pick four sacks 60.5 xqbr so i i don't know i mean it i think it was just it was a it was a cumulative kind of stack of things that ended up in an Alabama loss right it was this like cumulative denial of resources when you had the offensive backfiring a cumulative lack of havoc from your from your defensive line, I think, and particularly, and then like just, I mean, Kyle Field is a special home team, home field advantage. It's probably the best home field advantage in the country. And it was clear even from TV that it was a special night, right? And it was one of those things where mm-hmm. how many times have we seen the story where Bama gets behind big and comes back and breaks somebody's heart? I mean, we've seen it so happen many us twice. And it was just, it struck me when I was watching this game that it was like, I don't think the fans of Kyle Field are going to let that happen tonight. Like, I, I it just, I thought maybe they would come back and they did, but it just felt like Bama was never sure footed the whole day. And so, I mean, as for what does that tell us about UGA? I mean, you still probably are going to have to beat Bama at the end of the year, but I, it feels possible to be now, you know, before this game, yeah. I would have probably picked Bama just to pick Bama because I don't want to get hurt again. But now I'm like, well, I mean, I think we got a decent chance to slow the run game down. And I don't know how much, I mean, Bryce Young seems like a good player, but I, you know, is he, uh, is he Tua? I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm starting to see a pathway to it a little bit more, which is scary, but I think is, you know, that's part of having an elite team. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, looking at Alabama's remaining season, oh yeah, yeah. doesn't look like, I don't think they're going to lose to another SEC West team necessarily. So I, yeah. I, I, here's <clears throat> what I will say. I don't think they are, but, you know, at Jordan Hare, at night. Could be tough. I What I saw from Auburn on the weekend made me think that Auburn is going to keep beating people that don't have great defense. Because I think if you don't have a great defense, Bo Nix is just going to do some bullshit. I thought at times that Bo Nix looked pretty good. At yep. times he looked like kind of an idiot who should be playing tight end. But at times I thought he looked really good. I mean, his... His final stat line on the day, let's see, uh, 21 for 38, 
217 yards, one pick, no titch touchdowns, 30.4 QBR. Obviously not great. Negative 0.37 uh, EPA per play, negative 15 EPA on the day. So less than not great, probably just absolutely <laughs> bad. But there were times where it was just like, man, if he could just have a wide receiver catch a ball, if he could just escape a little quicker out of out of you know pressure, if he could be mm-hmm. a little smarter in the pocket, I think he would have really made that game a lot closer because they think he has the athletic ability to. But I think if he doesn't have, you know, Devonta Wyatt and Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, who just ate his lunch a couple of times running after him, he's going to have more opportunities to do that. And I'm not saying that Auburn's going to beat Alabama. I do think that this Auburn team feels like a team that might like mess Alabama season up, though. I mean, that I can't imagine. Yeah, that could definitely happen. Yeah, I will say that about Bo Nix. He he was he did seem like he has the tools to be good. It just seems like he has such a chaotic energy and he mm-hmm. just looks like he's so unsure of himself that I just wanted to, yeah. to, to, to like reach through and be like, Hey buddy, you don't got to play football like that. You can, you could take a, mm-hmm. like a second, like a, like just a mm-hmm. second. <laughs> Calm down, buddy. <laughs> but it is what it is. We're here now. Uh, what does the uh, offensive concept chart you have here? Tell us about getting back to Georgia now. Um, yeah. Tell us about this team and, and has anything changed from past games? Are well, we seeing anything different? I, yeah, I just don't want anyone to think that, lest anyone think that we're like a national college football podcast. We only talk about games that we think affect UGA. So, yes. Anyway, so in terms of the offensive concepts, you know, the biggest thing I see on the day um, is that we ran inside zone read 15 times. It was 21% of our plays ran, which is about average. But it was 60% of our uh, or 60% success rate, and it was 20% of the share of our yardage, which is very, very good. So what that tells me is that, you know, on the whole, the run games has started to pick up. And that, yeah, it's very frustrating to watch us run inside zone for no gain in the first half. But if what it leads to is, you know, eight inside zones in a row, mixing in with a couple of split zones, and you... And you use those eight runs to just like basically you know, break the game open, then that's working. I mean, I think as much, as frustrated as I've been with the running game in terms of play calling, it feels like that what what Munkin is envisioning for this running game is really finally coming together. Uh, the only other thing I I really saw out of it uh, or I see out of this is that I think it's it's interesting to look at our weekly play share and see the, the rise of plays like, you know, split counter, which is a, a counter play that has some contrary moving offensive linemen to see split zone in the, in that list. Those are plays that use a lot more shifting and post snap uh, adjustments of the offensive line and tight ends. And I wonder if that has to do with how much we trust Darnell Washington run blocking. He looked mm-hmm. really good on the day, obviously had a really big catch and showed sort of what he's capable of, but I think his presence in the run game, and his and I think just him being present on the team right now is taking less more pressure off of John Fitzpatrick to do what he is good at, which is block, right? And so I think that those two things together are sort of small signs that in some ways the injury the injury situation is improving. I think having Darnell Washington back is probably a bigger deal than we think it was. Uh other than that, I mean, look, the thing is, UGA didn't have a great gay. They, they didn't bring their A game, right? They didn't, mm-hmm. in many ways, especially in the first half, they didn't really look particularly productive on offense. And 
what was interesting to me was that the difference between the first and the second half had almost entirely to do with execution, right? And very and very much less to do with, you know, any specific tactical thing. Other than, you know, Todd Munkin has a very good... Uh, Todd Munkin has excellent timing when it comes to play calling. But other than mm-hmm. that, like, he was basically calling the plays that he had been calling previously, but we just executed them better. So, what about some observations just kind of observations overall and how can that lead into some takeaways from this game i I think you know i i I will say that georgia taking the number one spot has definitely ruined my the app that i use to like aggregate headlines and understand sort of subjective narratives because nothing (laughs) that's the only subjective narrative that's the only subjective narrative which is not subjective georgia is objectively number one so yeah so (laughs) Observations. I thought that the offense is showing a lot of potential given what we know about the injury situation. I think mm-hmm. Lad McConkey's emergence is a real wide receiving threat. Brock Bowers' emergence is a real wide receiving threat. The return of Darnell Washington. Those are all good in the micro sense of being like, hey, they win us the game. But they're very good in the macro sense of here's who we have on the bench that we think has a chance to come back, right? Yeah. You know, you add JT to this offense, you add. I don't know, Dominic Blaylock, you add Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint, you add, I mean, God forbid, you add like George Pickens, right? What does this yeah. offense look like? I, and I think it's one of those things where if you're doing this with the injuries that you know you have, when those guys come back, if you have an offensive coordinator who can integrate them and use their talents the way they need to be used, which I think you can, then, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for this team, right? I mean, Jermaine mm-hmm. Bur- Burton didn't play, right? I mean, I think he was out there for a couple of snaps, maybe as a decoy. I think maybe he was the running back when uh, Zeus scored from the full, uh, the fullback position, but he didn't really have any productive snaps on the day. So I, I thought, I think, you know, I'm very bullish on UJ's offense going forward. I think yeah. that the, the demise of UJ's offense has been great, greatly exaggerated. Uh, <laughs> defensively, I thought we showed some holes in coverage, right? I thought Chris Smith, I think we miss him as an organizer. I think uh, Graham put that as one of his, sort of takeaways from the game and his uh, Graham coffee in his uh, his post-game takeaways was that Chris Smith was really looked like he had been, he's putting together kind of a monster season, but in particular, he's very good at getting guys in the right place. And I thought you kind of saw there were some times when UGA didn't look confused on offense or on defense rather, but where UGA was just barely getting set before the snap, which is kind of uncharacteristic. Uh, I thought that, you know, there were a couple of really good catches from Demetrius Robertson in, in particular in, uh, for Auburn, where Keely Ringo made a really good body position play on the ball, but just didn't get his hand there, I mean, mm-hmm. by a second. And so, I mean, my A, my takeaway from that is I think Keely Ringo continues to improve. And, you know, when you put yourself in a in perfect positioning and your hand gets there a microsecond late and somebody makes a perfect catch, there's not much you can do about that. But, uh, but also, I think in terms of just like my takeaways and my feeling about the game is for every time that there was a UGA play where I was like, wow, I'm really glad we knocked that ball down. It really could have changed the game. You know, on Auburn's only scoring drive, there were two or three plays that if Keely Ringo gets his hand up a second later or a second earlier, the the, the drive probably stalls out. So I think there was some fluky stuff both ways where it's like 90% of the time if Keely puts his body position like that. I don't know why I'm saying that like I know him. If Ringo puts his body <laughs> position like that, that it's going to be an incompletion. So you know, I think that chance and fate and f- the fickleness of luck is some, is a force that gives equally as it takes. And I think that this is a really good example of that because for every UGA fan who's worried that maybe if we don't make some plays, this is a close game, 
there's an Auburn fan who is equally like upset that if, you know, more plays go their way that maybe this is a close game or if, you know, or there's an Auburn fan who honestly should be more worried that if more plays don't go their way, that this is a bigger game. This game is a bigger blowout. Uh, I think Stetson looks comfortable. I think Stetson's playing the kind of ball he wants to play. He didn't, he didn't really force anything. He threw the ball away a couple of times. There are a couple of times where he threw the ball away that on a play that ended the drive where I was like, thank you. Yes, literally like that is what he needs to do to become the final form of what he can be as a college quarterback is just be okay with punting and letting your defense handle it. Right. And if he gets flushed out on third and five and there's an open guy on the other side of the field, I would honestly rather just punt the ball and see what the defense could do at this point. than I would see him force a ball downfield. And so I'm really happy about where he is as a backup quarterback. I think the running game looks really good in the second half. And I think that if this team can establish a consistent, efficient running game in the first half of a game, watch out. Because I think yeah. once you get that established, you start hitting those bombs way easier. On both of the bombs to McConkie, what happened was a hard play action motion. And on both of those bombs, of the two inside linebackers and two safeties on the field, three of the four got suckered in by the play action motion on both bomb. And that only happens when you have an efficient run game. And so I think... One of the reasons I'm bullish on this UJ offense is that I don't think that UJ's offense is going to look bad running the ball in the first half the rest of the way through the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's all I have for observations. Was there anything else you saw? Uh, well, speaking of my my headline aggregator, uh, the only other thing that people are asking now is, do we have a quarterback situation yet? So I'm going to ask you, do we have a quarterback situation yet? That's a stupid-ass question. No. <laughs> no. No, what the? F- I'm sorry. <laughs> what? What? Tell the people. Tell the people, Nathan. Tell the people at home. Hold on. I just need to. This is the kind of magical thinking Western narrative bullshit that is the reason that we started mm-hmm. this podcast. So I'm glad I'm here for this. <laughs> this is my public service announcement. And this is and I, and and I think one of the things that we can help do with our stats is manage expectations. So I want to help you manage your expectations. Okay, I love Stetham Bennett. I think it's awesome that he pulls a big plug during in the middle of a big win. I think it's great. I mean, mouth tobacco is gross, but good for him. I think his. <laughs> I think honestly, he comes off as a really authentic guy to me. I don't think his shtick is shtick. I think his shtick is just who he is. You know, I don't think it's it's. He does not strike me as a performative guy i think he stetson bennett is stetson bennett right and his name's stetson and he lives up to it and like i love the guy right and i think that one of the best things about college football is that stetson bennett's going to be like a high school football coach or selling insurance in 10 years but he still beat auburn you know arkansas and a good uab team in the same year you know what i'm saying so it's like Mm -hmm. that's amazing and i'm not taking anything away from him but if you were a fan of uga and this is something I'm going to steal from Waiting Since Last Saturday. And I know that they listen to this, and I'm stealing it from them because it is they are correct when they said it when Kirby first got here. And I think it's something that you need to be okay with. If you want to be Saban, you got to be Saban. And if you're a fan of UGA at this point, you have to accept that with the wins and the accolades and the good feeling comes a ruthless, a ruthless, unerring, unfeeling, uncaring pursuit of perfection that does not care about narratives. And I don't think that Kirby doesn't care about these kids. In fact, I'm pretty sure he does. I like know he does. I know he cares about this team. He cares about every guy on it. 
But part of what he does is he has a meritocracy, right? Mm-hmm. And Stetson Bennett will take the job from JTD, a healthy JT Daniels when he is better than JT Daniels. And I don't want to shock anybody, but he is not better than JT Daniels. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I, this is the Georgia way. We used to make. We used. To, I mean, look. This is before this podcast existed. But when the when when the sort of proto bones of this podcast was me bitching to my friends on the back of the Sousa bus about the way Mark Richt coached, even though I loved him as a human, right? We always talked uh-huh. about how the Georgia way was what messed us up. We had all these ideas about the way things could be should be done the right way, and they were really just sort of arbitrary ideas that were making us worse as a team. The Georgia way now is like we follow the process we win that's the georgia way and you have to accept both sides of that right because the good side is i feel good right now instead of feeling like shit because we lost to an unranked auburn team with two losses or they weren't unranked but you know what i'm saying i feel Mm -hmm. good right now but the other side of that is you have to be able to accept that a meritocracy is a meritocracy right and i get it systemically there are all sorts of things about college football that are inequitable systemically there are all sorts of ways that this is in no way a meritocracy i get it right a I mean, don't cry for Stetson Bennett. He's going to be fine. And B, you play the high... A, is it, you don't even play the higher ceiling guy. You play the better player. The guy mm-hmm. who plays better plays. And, of course, JT Daniels, when he's hurt, is not going to play better. But I think it's imminently clear, to me at least, that when JT Daniels has been healthy, he has had a higher ceiling than Stetson Bennett. I'll give you an example. Do we win the Clemson game with Stetson Bennett yes. as a quarterback? Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we won it. I'm sorry, not did we win it, but do we win it? It's <laughs> the dramatic pause, it got me. No, sorry, sorry. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I was so, I'm so put off by this question, not from you, Justin, but just in general, that I I'm know. just like, it's like, I don't fucking care who looks more comfortable. Who's better? Who's the better player, right? Who's the, be- who do you think gives you the best chance to win? And let me tell you, when you have a billion injuries, the guy with the higher upside who scores you more points gives you the better chance to win. And it's not like Stetson Bennett has been some dude who throws 800 passes and no picks. He throws a pick or two a game. Anyway. It's part of it. All right. I'm, I'm controlling. I've controlled myself. I'm not going to get fired. We, had, we, we recorded a whole episode where we weren't streaming live. And I got really over my skis. Maybe we shouldn't stream the previews so I can really get the rage going. We should yeah, only oh yeah. stream the reviews. That works out. That works just fine. All right. So, sorry. I, I don't know what just happened. What segment are we on? I just blacked out. <laughs> well, I segued. I I pride myself in knowing exactly how to like what buttons to push to get you there because that did segue into your, your final takeaway. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, my, my last takeaway is this. If you think about how the season has gone, aside from the first quarter of the Auburn game, which I think, you know, it wasn't worst case scenario, but it definitely wasn't the way we wanted the game to start in many ways. But aside from the first quarter of the Auburn game, I really don't think you can ask for a better half of a season than UGA has just produced, right? Mm. I mean, you would prefer that maybe there weren't as many injuries, but if you're talking about things that we can control, plays that we can win, I mean, look, it's it's the fifth inning and nobody's gotten on base yet. And maybe it's time that we start talking about not talking to the pitcher when he's in the dugout. I don't think I understand that reference at all. All right, let me help you. So in <laughs> in baseball, uh-huh, uh-huh. when a pitcher is having a very good game, a mm-hmm. game so good that it is characterized by its lack of flaws, 
a game where not a single man touches and reaches base safely. After about three or four innings of that, people in the dugout between innings where the pitcher isn't pitching stop talking about him. They start they stop talking to him. They don't mm-hmm. mention it on the Homer broadcast. They don't say anything about it because to even because the level of excellence that that pitcher is approaching is so ineffable, so evanescent, so like the gossamer of the cobwebs in the morning that to even speak its name would be to destroy it. And what uh-huh. I'm saying is Georgia is playing at a level right now that like maybe we should just leave the pitcher alone in the in the dugout. Got it. Okay. I understand if you're the just a little, if, if you're a stitious, if you're not superstitious, but you're a touch stitious. That's me. I think that if you're six games in at this point and you look at where UGA is, it's time to maybe be like, huh? You know, <laughs> I, I, have you have you ever, have you ever witnessed like a no hitter from a from a from a, a pitcher? No. Because when you get, I was at one for the Braves oh, a few years ago. I don't even remember. It was a weird day, but. And it's like when you get to inning four or five, you just have to not talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Because to give it voice would be to kill this magical thing that is happening. And we're six games in, and I think that we're 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 starting to we're not quite to the seventh inning stretch, but we're we need to start thinking about it. Yeah, start considering our next moves. So we've got some uh, prediction reviews, and then we'll get into Ask CBC. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, these prediction reviews, the first one was an over-under one-and-a-half Bonix interceptions. I said under. Um, that was true. Over-under 47 points. We both said under. It was just a touch, not too much under 47 points, but it was. We kept Auburn uh, low, and so it brought us under that 47 points. Over-under three-and-a-half sacks. It was over. Uh, both said over. Then, oh, this is the Auburn... Um, zero epa so we we talked about epa in the last one and uh oh, ended up oh okay being I, did, I didn't significantly mark under because zero. i didn't know what it was yeah 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 so we both said under we both got it mm-hmm. right uh georgia three and a half punts i believe it was two on the day maybe three mm-hmm. um that was an under and then you were closer not by much i i will say by i one... was pretty excited <laughs> by the... yeah you were closer by one point i was net yeah. 10 points off and you were net 11 points off mm-hmm. so I was good, pretty excited good, I by think we, 38-3. I think we both had a pretty good feel. We both had a pretty good feel mm-hmm. for it. You were 11 points off net, and I was mm-hmm. I had 27-13. So I was Not bad. Uh, 10 off net. Just a touch so, closer. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I think we're starting to really round into form with these predictions. If only mm-hmm. we could get CBCR squared to that level of specificity. Of course, we're just guessing, and CBCR squared is actually being smart, so who knows. Um, it's doing math. <clears throat> yeah, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. What segment is that, Justin? It's the Ask CBC segment. So if it, you ever want to hear your questions answered on the show, make sure you send them over to us through Gmail or on our Discord or on Twitter. Uh, we will answer them on the show. We've been getting a pretty steady stream of Gmail questions, which has been pretty great. And we'll actually start the episode, not, not the episode, the segment with one of those right now. So the first question comes through Gmail from Mattzilla. Hello, CBC. These ones just also they hit different because it's always an email format. I kind of like it. Instead of someone just like yelling their question at it's, you. It like, feels like they really it's like this is a this is a a post or this is a not a post. It's an email from a person of a person of taste and means mm-hmm. a person of sophistication. You know, there's a greeting and a signature. Mm-hmm. 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 So hello, CBC. Wow. A comprehensive road win in a hostile environment. Two questions for you, gentlemen. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> that is the feel to me. One, yeah, yeah. do you think Stetson should get the start next week, even if JT quote-unquote wine bar Daniels is healthy? The Postal Service's own had a great showing in a hostile environment. Question two, what is the best show in DCI history, and why is it the 2000 Cavies Niagara? Um, Phenomenon of Cool by Blue Devils and Malaguena by the Cadets are also good shouts. Hit us with some answers. I, lo- I really love JT Winebar Daniels. I haven't heard that before, but I could see JT like enjoying a nice like. Yeah, uh, I think as long as we don't mean <laughs> r- wine bar in a derogative sense, right? No, no, no. I would I would enjoy going and like enjoying some like oh, nice hors d'oeuvres and. I don't remember what I've said thirty seconds after I said it, but didn't we talk about how like JT was like schmoozing wine moms at the wine bar? Probably, yeah, that makes sense. He would be. He'd show up. Yeah. He'd he'd be like. I love small plates. And they'd be like, yes, same. Let me buy you one, boy. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I want to say that I think everyone's favorite DCI show is really about like where they saw it and like mm-hmm. where they were in their life. And this, I think it's similar to your, like your favorite movie or your favorite album. You like, they hit in different ways. Like one of my favorite DCI shows, I think is like, 2005 Cavaliers because it was one of the first shows that I saw live. It was, I think the James Bond show might've been 2002, something like that. And that one, I, I really love, even though I acknowledge that it's not one of the best ever. I, I mean, you know, people will tell you, I think Jashley just said 2012 uh, Carolina crown, which is just a very, 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 very good is show. It, was that when um, the, uh, the, um, was it the Derby show? No, uh, 2012 Carolina Crown was. Give me a second. I, I want to make sure. Pretty sure that was uh, fanfare for the common man. Um, oh, okay. For yeah. the com for the common good. Yeah. So yeah, that one's really cool. They had like a 3D like uh, cube they rotated. I remember I saw that one. That's cool. At the Atlanta show, and that was like their home show, and it was such a cool. I don't even think they won that year. Um, so that that was a good show. Personally, the best show. I mean, like, look. I haven't made like a lot of bones about the fact that I'm kind of a blue devil's Homer. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, one of my favorite, I'm trying to think about which what's my favorite blue devil show. I mean, I really like Fellini esque Fellini esque was a very good show because it was just one of my, I don't know. Like I had a friend who was in that core and like, I, mean, I still have a friend and it was just like a really important show for me, like just seeing it live was like really important. But I mean, I'm trying to think of what was 2019 Blue Devils. That might be my favorite. What's the one where they had the big like stairs? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no. It was Metamorph. Metamorph, I think, is my I think is the best. Metamorph is the best DCI show I've ever seen. Uh, at live, just the sound was just like. It, I, I remember when they walked on the field and they first hit that first big chord and it was like, oh, they're going to win. A and B, mm-hmm. that's like maybe the best breath sound I've ever heard in person. Uh, I love 2017. Um, it, I have in my mind um, 2008 is 2008 show. Blue Coats did um, the knockout. And there's a there's a part in the show where the entire brass line like squares up right in front of um, the the stands, and they do this like beautiful refrain and then they put their horns down and they sing a portion and it always sticks out in my head um because i saw it a couple times the boxer yeah man it was yeah absolutely gorgeous 
that was the same year like the the cavaliers had like the the machine show and everyone was like absolutely gaga over the machine which because it was really good to be fair but <clears throat> second question comes from turner is a georgia bulldog hater this is actually a kentucky question so this is going to be a quick one um from the next show how much shit talk is an appropriate amount given the fact that my brain knows we will probably lose but my heart says we'll win 24 14 unlimited shit talk uh lose it losses <laughs> fade glorious forever that's right no gods no masters shit yep. talk for life dizzy dog are chin straps on helmets imaginary <laughs> <laughs> no they just don't work like by yeah, design i've always wondered that how do they work I mean, that's kind of part of it though right it's supposed to come i mean like if it gets hit in the right way yeah you you want to be able to get the helmet off at a, at a note at a notice so i think that's the it's kind of like a of collar safety. on a cat yeah <clears throat> like if your cat gets stuck up in a tree you want the collar to come off so they don't kill themselves on accident uh case arge at what point can we drop the borderline and award this team the title erotic this team uh, is we're just already there we're six games erotic in. now i think we have to just be honest with each with ourselves that that's where we second are second question since Stetson Bennett is now officially QB1, according to the announcers, it's time to ask the big question. How much better of a dual-threat quarterback is Stetson Bennett than Justin Fields? <laughs> All right. Sarge, <laughs> get out of here with this shit. Next question. Uh, when will teams start to respect the Mad Lad deep threat? Corollary. Once they do, how do they stop Bowers in the middle of the field? I'll add like an addendum to this as well. What happens when we have both of these guys and the full rotation of wide receivers uh, actually oh, healthy enough to start. we score like 45, 50 points a game. That's what Jeez. happens. Give it to me. Ugh. Uh, Abby, stage manager for life, asks, what should you do with your hands when you don't know what to do with them? Abby, I hope that your experience in watching me live stream over these past few weeks has shown you that I cannot answer this question from a pretty quantitative standpoint. I don't know. If you figure something out, I would love to know. One of my one of my favorite things, you know, Nathan and I play a weekly D&D game. And for I don't know why, but I don't know if you even know this, but most weeks when you turn you you join the group, the video chat and your video comes on, most times your hands are like in front of your face. And I don't know if you do it intentionally or you just do it because it's who you are. But I've started noticing it in recent weeks that you, you the video turns on and you're just like, ah, I'm here now. <laughs> My, I have a lot of weird kinesthetic stuff that I do when I'm trying to think. Mm -hmm. And I have, I, I don't know, like I have uh, synesthesia. Like I think mm -hmm. me and all, all four of my siblings have synesthesia. And a lot of my synesthesia is really based on like uh, touch sensory inputs. And so sometimes like body positioning helps me like remember things. And so sometimes like when I'm doing D and D that's why, but when I'm talking yeah. in front of people and I know that I'm talking in front of people, that's just me not being good on camera. <laughs> I have no cool <laughs> excuse for that. I have no cool, like quirky reason. It just is. Next question, Laura, but pissed. Does being number one make you nervous? Is this going to make them cocky and underestimate Kentucky? Do, no, it doesn't make me nervous because it's going to suck if we lose and it would have sucked anyway. Boom. Great answer. Cap Falcon, do you think playable extra turn cards are a good idea to print in standard MTG? And those of you uh, that don't play Magic, I think you're going to need to get quick. Skip just forward, what the heck does that mean? If you'll skip forward two minutes. to three minutes. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> So Magic is a turn-based Magic the Gathering is a turn-based game and one and there are sort of 
a bunch of different ways to win, right? The, the easiest way to win is to deal 20 points of damage to your opponent. Another way to win is just to take turns until your opponent quits. Uh, historically, in more powerful, uh, extended, modern formats, this has been something that you can do sort of ad nauseum, ah, which is another magic combo. Right now, there's a card in Magic Standard called Alrin's Epiphany that dominated Magic World Championships 27th. Uh, uh, I think there were like, there weren't 32 copies in the top 16. There's like a lot in the top 16 players in the world. I don't think playable extra turn cards are a problem. I think they're a problem when they're connected to a mechanic that lets you like sort of split the payment over two terms the way that Fortel does. And if you understood any of that, good job. And if not, let's move on. All right. Ligerstrom Dog. Was James Franklin the lone Iowa first place vote in the coaches poll? And how many losses does Penn State end up with at the end of the season? I'm going to pull up Penn State's season. Well, let's look at Penn State's schedule. Yeah. Yeah, they have a pretty difficult road ahead of them, I feel. And without Sean Clifford, it is going to be a hard knock life. So going forward, they have Illinois. That's a win. Ohio State mm-hmm. feels like a loss. Ooh, Maryland, damn. probably a loss. Michigan, or sorry, Maryland, probably a win. Michigan, probably a loss. Rutgers, probably Sean a Clifford. win. Yeah. Rutgers, and then Michigan State, I think you can beat. So it feels like you might be looking at a 9-3 and three season, which is still a very good season if you've lost Sean Cl- Clifford. 9-4, and four, right? Yeah, 9-4. Mm-hmm. and four. Because they just lost to Iowa. So, or eight and four, excuse me. Oh, did they already lose a game? Yeah, they lost this week to Iowa. Yeah, but I, I only see two more regular season losses at Michigan and Penn State. So that would get them to three. Really? You think the Michigan, they'll they'll win against Michigan State? Yeah, I think, I, I think Michigan State is really good, but I don't know that they can run with Penn State even without their starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I feel like Michigan State is... I hesitate to say it but i feel like they might be better than michigan but we'll see at the end of the season i think uh we'll see what happens michigan state has a a decent schedule ahead of them that wasn't the question though so we'll see what happens later um steven asks we are now six weeks in the defense has given up 26 points 33 points now uh how many no defense i'm sorry you're right 26 points for the defense how many total points does the defense give up for the next six games so Let's look at this schedule once more. Anyway, looking at UGA's upcoming schedule, I think one of the uh, one of the easiest ways to sort of think about it is like who is better, who is better on offense than what we faced, and who is worse. Right. Mm-hmm. So probably the best offense to this point that we've faced is, I guess Arkansas, maybe Arkansas, maybe probably, or. Uh, Arkansas or Auburn. I mean, it's de- it's definitely not Clemson. Any of the others? No. Yeah. So, all right. You've got Kentucky, which is probably better than our Kentucky. Might be the best offense you played to in the season. You got I Florida. The, yeah, fourteen to seventeen points. Yeah, Florida also very good on offense. Missouri, bad, bad team. Garbage. They're bad. Charleston, Tennessee. Uh, I don't know if I believe in that offense yet. Give me a week or two. <laughs> Charleston Southern, bad, should feel bad. Georgia Tech, bad, should feel bad. So you you have either two or three of the best offenses that you're going to play this year still ahead of you. I think you probably win all three of those games at this point. I think I would predict that. But mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if we can expect to give up single digits to any of those three teams. Right? Like no. Josh Heupel, like playing a Josh Heupel team 
we might give up 21 to Josh Heifel's team and win like 52 to 21, right? Because yeah. the way that UCF offense that he's runs works is that when they're behind, they throw a lot. When they're ahead, they throw a lot. When they're even at parity, they throw a lot. And, you know, sometimes when you have maybe an offensive line that's overmatched and you're doing that, you throw some interceptions and you get some, you give us some easy points. So I, I expect mm-hmm. Tennessee, Florida, and uh, Kentucky, I can all see scoring points on this offense. I will say, you know, a lot of Kentucky's a lot of Kentucky's offensive production and explosiveness has been on the ground. And, you know, they, they've, they obviously have a very good deep threat, Wandell Moore at wide receiver, but given that their quarterback is basically a D 20, that is as likely to, you know, crit successfully as he's to have, as he is to have a critical failure. And given that they're, they are negative in the turnover differential to this year. And given that they have two core, two running backs that like to cough the ball up, I don't know if I totally buy that Kentucky is going to score more than 13, 17 points. Yeah. Um, 17. I feel like so I'm trying to think. So if you give, if you give Florida, Kentucky, and if you're conservative or I guess liberal and you give Florida, Kentucky and Tennessee, 17 points each, that's uh 51 more points on uh-huh. the year. I think you probably are giving up between three and seven points. Charleston Southern uh so the, the question for me comes down to Missouri. does this defense give away more or less than 100 points by the end of the regular season well if we use the rubric i just gave up based on the numbers mm-hmm. i just pulled out of my ass i have it at like six it's like 80 or 90 right 20, I, I i had it at like 68 they're going at 26 right now 26 yeah so 26 let's say that we're nice and we give them no no, no more than 68 so if, if we give them 17 a piece at Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and Kentucky, which that pro- that yeah, that's fifty one. So that gives you seventy seventy seven, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're probably going to blank Charleston Southern. So that's not. So let's say you give up even ten apiece for Missouri and Georgia Tech, which I think is probably too much. So that's another twenty. So yeah, that gives you in the eighties. That puts you in the eighties. I could see. I could see under a hundred. Just depends really on yeah. how. Uh, it depends on if you ever like get yourself talked into a shootout with Florida, Tennessee, or Kentucky, which I don't think Kentucky really wants to play a shootout, but mm. I think Florida and Tennessee might try to have one. Yeah, got nothing to lose. Might as well. Man, oh man. Drewski asks, assuming the UGA and Bama went out and meet in the SEC championship and the dogs come out on top, a very big assumption I know, what is the path to Bama also making the playoffs for a possible rematch? If Cincinnati stays undefeated and the Big Ten and Big 12 don't completely cannibalize themselves, I don't see how they make it in with two losses and no conference championship. I think that's correct. I mean, I think the path is the obvious bias that the college football playoff has towards Alabama and I don't mean bias in the like ah the bias liberal media way I mean (laughs) bias in the sort of more data sense of like the college football playoff is a model that has trained itself on the way Bama looks when Bama is good so I think that given the opportunity to put Bama in they will not as a conspiracy theory but because Bama has trained them to select Bama uh and I and I and I know that sounds like way more conspiracy theory-ish than I usually talk and I don't mean it that way I just mean like Bama has been the default for five or six years and will continue to get the benefit of the doubt because of it naturally, not because there's some Bama cabal trying to put Bama in. I think that's the way it would happen. But I think, yeah, I think, I think, you know, one loss Ohio state goes in over Bama. Mm -hmm. I think 
Oklahoma goes in over Bama if they remain on, if they win out, right? I think mm. UGA, if in the scenario that we've established, goes in. So that's three. So the question is, do you put in undefeated Cincinnati or two lost Bama? And that could Cincinnati really mess goes. Up. Yeah, well, no. I mean, I think they'd look for a reason to put Bama in there. I really do. Yeah. I think they so, would. I think in that in that scenario where you have three obvious and then the choice is two lost Bama or no lost Cincinnati, they actually might put Bama in because that's just the way the system is designed is mm-hmm. to screw a group of five teams. Yeah. Let me ask you this then. Does Georgia, like past years, Georgia still go to the playoffs if they lose to Bama in the championship? If they SEC if Bama if Bama doesn't catch another loss and then you have two one-loss teams, and it's a close loss, then yeah, I think they go. Yeah. Now, we if, get Bama the is a, if, if undefeated UGA loses to two-loss Bama, I think that's a scenario where there's no SEC teams, but I don't. even then I think maybe... Well, no, no, no. If, if we meet Bama in the SEC championship and lose to them, we win out the regular season, lose to them, do we still go to... Do we take that four spot? Yeah, I think if it's a, if it's a close game, yeah. Yeah. Just wondering if that Texas A&M loss will end up hurting us more than anything if we lose to Bama mm-hmm. in the SEC championship, mm-hmm. you know. We'll see what happens. Irk Russell, but uh Buzz, Buzz Do Nix. Does Bo Nix dream of running backwards? I think before Saturday, his dreams of running backwards were happy dreams, and now they're nightmares. <laughs> Christy in London asks, what renaming did Tank Bigsby earn himself with his play in the end? Alright, I have not yet pulled up his stat line. So it's like 28 yards in the day, 10 rushes. Yeah, it, it, 28 yards on 10 rushes, which is what, two two yards a rush? So I'm going to mm. say that he is firmly in Coop Smallsby territory. Coop Smallsby. I don't even think he was Smallsby. Jeep. He was not Jeep medium speed on Saturday mm-hmm. because he played us. He was Coop Smallsby. He, he, uh, Abby is suggesting Kia Soulsby again. And I mean, yeah, he didn't get kicked off the team. So I'm not sure if he's Kia Soulsby <laughs> yet, but... No, he Kia might be Soulsby. Kia Soulsby. We, we, we shut him down. One, right. day, one game, Kia Soulsby. Ryan asks, can you both please give us your level-headed takes on what the targeting rule should be? Do you have an opinion on this? I mean, targeting is targeting. It makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. I mean, I know it seems harsh to take a good player out for one play for the rest of the game. I think if you think about it on a per-game basis, it doesn't really make sense and we need to change the targeting rule. If you think about it in a macro sense of like, we need to change football so football can exist in 50 years, I think there's nothing too harsh, right? Yeah. If the choice is Smoke Bowie, a player who I like and wish could play, is out for a half, or we have football in 2050, then yeah, put Smoke Bowie out for half. Mm-hmm. It's wild I mean, though, like the, who was it? Smoke Monday, it wasn't Smoke Monday, it was- um, Not Smoke Bowie, Smoke, Smoke Bowie is a recruit, Smoke Monday, Smoke yeah. Monday, sorry. Smoke Monday- is out in two consecutive games against Georgia due to a targeting call. And so it's just weird that, I don't know, it, it seems it isn't working the way it's supposed to be working. It's supposed to deter players from doing the thing. And so it doesn't seem like it, it seems like it's more treating a symptom rather than the cause. But um, you're right, though, like in a macro sense, it is it is meant to try and, you know, save football for the long run. Um, so there is nothing, you know, when, when considering the sorts of injuries that can come from that kind of contact like it's it's a small price to pay but it can yeah. de- it you know it it can do a lot of damage in both I micro guess and macros instances. I, I i know it feels capricious the way who gets kicked out and when but it's like 
I think on a large enough sample size, everybody's getting kicked out capriciously. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Final segment of the show. We'll get through this real quick because it begs you to get through it real quick. It's Yara rages so hard. First question. They're, yeah, they're more statements most of the time. Their their questions are, are usually pretty like, oh, <laughs> as I feel. <laughs> okay. Why do you think Bama choked so MF hard? Because that shit was wild. Also, shout out to Texas A&M. I love you. Goo-goo. I mean, I think they just, they couldn't deal with the pressure, which is great to say. And now they have mm-hmm. to act like Mark Richt and be like, all of our goals are still in front of us, which is hilarious. Why are so many people injured? And will anybody recover in time to play on Saturday? It looks like Jamari Sawyer and Christopher Smith are going to play. Is also kind of like reading the tea leaves. So that's cool. Based on Kirby uh, from Sunday, it sounds like JT was fine to play. Jamari was fine to play. There were several players that were fine to Any play. Any of again. them could have um, played had they yeah. had to, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I get a high five from a football player if I'm playing the sousaphone at dog walk? Uh, so there's an answer to this. A, have your. So I, I, I have a foolproof thing. So you want to have your have your horn uh, you want to have all of your music memorized which you should at this point because we play the same three things every time right <laughs> you want to have the weight of your horn on your right thumb on the loop right up off your body you want to be playing as normal and then the key is fully extended hand no bend in the arm eye contact people are very uncomfortable with direct eye contact if they don't know you and if you were playing a sousaphone while at the same time staring someone into their pupils and I mean not their face now you have to get you have to get pupil to pupil eye contact for this to work. You have to stare into the windows of their soul, and then they'll give you a high five just in the interaction. <laughs> it works right. 100% of the time, I'm telling you. If you're if you're conducting, then you like they'll give you a high five because you think you're asking for one. They think you're you're looking for a high five, yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't conduct like that. No. <laughs> assign the other host a D&D alignment. Also assign me one. I'm curious. Uh, well, you're chaotic good. Okay, that, I'll take it. That's, that's true. No, no, I'm, I'm saying Yara's chaotic good. I think you're more oh, like... Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to tell you this, Justin, but I think you might be lawful good, bud. <laughs> I might be lawful good. I, I'm not saying know, neutral no. good. I, I would say neutral good. You break a rule every yeah. now and again. You, you're you're mm. a real, like, like uh, you know, for the good of the many kind of person. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say personality-wise chaotic good, but you're also like... A little cinnamon roll, sort of. That's true. Behaviorally, sometimes. <laughs> a little cinnamon roll, sweet little sugar-coated yeah. cinnamon roll. Um, it's hard to say for you. I mean, you got layers. You got many layers to you. So, but I think overall, you're. There's some chaotic nature, but there's also. Which one is so? Uh, I'll back up. Instead of diving straight into the definitions, I'll say, you have your own code. And there mm-hmm. are things that should be the way that they are. And you speak truth to power. So I think that means chaotic good based on those. Either chaotic or neutral good, depending on your. Mm-hmm. So neutral good is doing doing what you can do the best good without bias for or against order. Chaotic okay. good is doing the best good you can, you know, with a bias against order, right? Mm. I would say neutral okay. good, probably. Neutral you know what good. I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I will that work. I will work with a king, and I won't like blow up the building just to, sh- to you know, spite him. <laughs> All right. 
Not a question, but I want to congratulate Seth Smalls and his wife on the birth of their child about nine months from Saturday. How nice. Congratulations, <laughs> Seth Smalls and his wife. Do you realize the, the joke? Child. Seth Smalls is the kicker for oh. <laughs> Texas A&M who hit, <laughs> See, who I'm hit just reading the winning. Notes, so I did not digest it yet. Yes. Uh, what colors would you assign different school subjects? So like... What color is math, science, English, history, etc.? For me, math is red, science is green, English is yellow, history is blue. Duh. Except for me, English is blue, history is yellow, but that's just me. I agree English is red. red and science is green. English is red because red's my favorite color. And really? I like red. Yeah. I like green, so I say history is either green or blue. And then I think history is probably green, science is blue, math is yellow. Because I hate the color yellow. I think it's gaudy on me. It looks bad on me. And so <laughs> I give it to my least favorite subject. I love that very much. Thank you. Uh, what's your favorite song right now? Uh, there's this bedroom pop artist called Remy Wolf that I'm really into. And she has this song called Liz that I, I think might be about a sex worker. And I have a thing that I really like songs about sex workers because I think they're cool. And like weirdly romantic in a very like old school troubadour way. But Liz by Remy Wolf is a very good song. It's um, kind of a jam. I, that's really weird because uh, I just pulled up the song I was listening to earlier because it's one that I just added to a playlist. And it's also with Remy Wolf. <laughs> oh, yeah. What is it? It's called It's OK uh, from Wallows with Remy Wolf and Solo Monophonic. Yeah. Monophonic. That's a very good it. one. Yeah. It's very good. I added it uh, immediately to my feel good playlist. But. Next question. So we gave up a touchdown to Auburn. Pensive face. But like we're six Good. games in and have we given up so few touchdowns? Do you think we will give up any more throughout the rest of the season? If so, what game and win? <laughs> yeah, I think I think yeah. Not giving up. And Yara I know is like a young to sp- young to football f- fan, but I think it's easy to get spoiled like not giving up any touchdowns for like five games is abnormal and not something you should expect to continue. Mm-hmm. Just like the law of large numbers kind of dictates that. Yeah. If you woke up and became the best athlete in the world at one sport, what sport would you choose and why? Some non-consequential and not on TV for me. You want you like, want the you know what my absolute answer is? I, uh, I actually have thought about this. Archery. Here's was, why. Yeah, I could have chosen that for you. I love to do it, so I think I would appreciate being really good at it, right? Because I do it already. But uh-huh. it is a nice combination of it's an individual sport, so you can like kind of rely on yourself to get accolades, right? But also, team archery is like a big deal and has a lot of strategy to it. So you can get both sides to it, you know, cooperative and individual. I would love to do something like either like diving. I think it'd be cool. Like no actual swimming involved, just diving because that's pretty neat. Or something <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, okay, carry on, carry on. I just had an image <laughs> in my head. <laughs> of me diving? <laughs> no, just a specific image. Anyway, carry on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, or like bowling or something, something, you know, that's like a, like a, it's something you could like take friends out to. It's something that's accessible, but to be really good at it is neat. Um, final question. Hold on. What can I tell you, can I, I tell you my, can I tell you my yeah, image? Please my do. My image is you said diving, but no swimming. And I just had this image of you dive and you make a perfect dive and then you just float on your stomach up to the, up to the surface <laughs> face down. And then they throw like a life ring around they you and drag you, you in. Because you just are like, I will not swim. I, I do not swim. swim. I am a diver. <laughs> yeah, just raise my hand out of the water and they have to come get me. And they and they have like a little loop and they just pull you up out like a dead whale. 
like the, like the carcass of some leviathan all right yep they have to read my rider to make sure they bring the right flotation device that's our last question do you want to see us out yeah i do this has been chapel bell curve you can find us on itunes google play and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast including spotify if you liked what you heard here today we'd love if you gave us a rating and a review it really helps get the word out there we'd also love if you would tweet out how much you love us at chapel bell curve which is our twitter at Instagram, which is our at Instagram, we are the official Instagram account. We are we have at control Instagram. of it. At Instagram for Chapel Bell Curve, sorry, at Chapel Bell Curve for our Instagram. Or if you'd like to get in touch with us at either of those places, or send us an email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you want to support this podcast in a more sort of capitalist, uh, physical, monetary way, which we would also appreciate, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. We will catch you in the Classic City this weekend. But until then, go Go dogs. dogs.